Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Giving Leader. I am Phil Ling, which is the host of the podcast. First of all, thank you to all you folks that are downloading this. I don't even care if you listen to it as long as you download it. Uh, in the last 10 months since we launched this thing, we've had thousands of you do that, thousands of ministry leaders. That's our focus at The Giving Leader is I talk to leaders that I've bumped into in one way or another across the country. And we usually camp out in a couple of different areas, vision casting, leadership development, generosity, intentional generosity, that kind of stuff. The reason behind that is because we are sponsored by another organization that I founded, which is The Giving Church. If you'd like to know more information about that, go to thegivingchurch.com. Uh, you can download a free book there that tells more about our vantage point on the stuff that's going on in American church. And we have been blessed to work with about 600 faith-based nonprofits and churches and raise about a billion dollars over the years. So go to thegivingchurch.com. But today it's The Giving Leader. It's our podcast. And uh, I've had a weird, varied life in ministry and have run into a lot of people. This is a, a, a favorite of mine today because it's somebody I've not met yet. But it's somebody that I feel like I know because I read his stuff. And I was just telling him before we started recording uh, I picked up one of his books off my shelf today. This is one of my favorites called Branding Faith. He wrote it about 13 years ago. Uh, Why Some Churches and Nonprofits Impact Culture and Others Don't. Uh, Phil Cook is the name. The reason I pulled this one off because I, I remember when I got it and I was doing some stuff for uh, the Billy Graham administration and our organization and uh, Ken Barron, who is a guru in so many things, used to be the CEO of Ronald McDonald Charities, is a good friend. Uh, Ken's who hired me to work with Billy Graham stuff. And as I open to the front cover of this book that I haven't touched in a few years, it says to Ken. <laughs> so undoubtedly, I stole Ken's book. Ken, if you're listening, I apologize. You could give me one that says, Dear Phil. Uh, Phil <laughs> Cook is uh, he's a very guy, and I don't want to pigeonhole him, but I want to read a little bit of his bio because depending on where you have intersected with his work over the last year, a few years, you maybe have a different vantage point. Produced lots of, of media, lots of TV and film pro programs in 60 different countries around the, uh, the world. Uh, Cook Media Group, he was part of, and I know some of you that are, have the recent bias, Let Hope Rise, the Hillsong movie. He was executive producer of that. Uh, he's got a new book that's coming out, and I want to make sure that I plug it, The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. That's with Jonathan Bach as his co-host, our co-writer on that. You can go to uh, philcook.com. He writes a lot. And the reason he's my guest today, I got to be clear. Anytime I see something in media that someone says something that echoes what I've been saying, I automatically like them. <laughs> so I, I have been saying, and you've been listening to it on the podcast, that ever since this pandemic thing exploded, we, we work with ministries that try to raise money under good circumstances, let alone bad circumstances. And when this all happened, I started to watch and I would see ministries, you've heard me harangue against it, uh, where they get on and say, hey, remember us, remember to continue to send your, your offerings in. We still have overhead, we still have mortgages, we still have salaries. And I'm like, they're gonna die. They're gonna die because it's vision that drives it. The intentional generosity follows the vision. My African-American friends in African-American churches used to have the phrase that God's provision follows his vision. And Phil Cook recently tweeted something along those lines that says, and I'm paraphrasing and he can correct it, but stop asking for money and start telling me what your vision is, what it is you're doing. And we have profiled some of those, those organizations on the podcast. We've had a cool church in Ohio, 
that started to basically become like a grocery store. And they fed 1,600 families the first week, three weeks of groceries each. And then it went to about 3,200 families. And they have had no problem with people being generous as they just simply tell the story of the families they're intersecting with. So from California, via the technology that we have at our, we've never been bombed. Have you been reading about that, Phil, where Zoom is getting bombed? You know, they yeah, come in I've on stuff. About it. I've, been, I've seen a couple incidents and it hasn't happened to me yet. So but, I, I uh, think I, I would like to be important enough for them to do that. I've seen more situations <laughs> where people weren't wearing pants and they stood oh. up by mistake. And so oh, oh, that's oh, oh. too. Hey, yeah. well, first of all, thank you for doing it because I know you're a busy guy. And uh, the only well, good thrilled. news, you're probably captive. You're captive in your home. I am. I'm totally captive in my home office. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to do this. This is really fun. I love talking about growing ministry organizations, growing churches. And you're exactly right. I could not support that idea more that sharing your vision is really what inspires people to want to partner with you to help make that vision happen. Yeah, it, it's funny. And I, I want to, because that was your tweet that I jumped off of. So I want to make sure we, we get into that is, uh, I think there's panic. I, I get because of what I do for the last 20 years, I get lots and lots of communication from ministries. And there is a lot of them. I got one today from uh, my alma mater uh, that it's like they want to ask for money. They don't want to blatantly ask for money, but they don't know what really to say. And so they send me some some diatribe with the Bible story. Um, and, and my whole piece and you tell me if I'm all wet because I really do respect you in this whole world. My whole piece is tell me what you're doing that's changing lives and I will help you do that. Absolutely. Totally. I could not agree more. You know, I, I come from a media background. I'm a, as you said, I'm a television film, online media producer. I've been doing it for decades. And, and so I'm totally caught up in helping ministry organizations tell their story more effectively. And we live in a media driven culture. Some studies indicate the average person today sees about 10,000 media messages every single day. And the distraction factor, our phones, our emails, our social media has just actually changed our behavior. One study a year ago came out through the Wall Street Journal and said that when you meet someone for the first time, you decide what you think of that person within the first four to eight seconds. Now, now think about that. You, you ha haven't had time to meet them, get to know them, hear what they have to say, but we're being pulled in so many directions, so distracted that we've just changed our behavior to start making decisions about things we don't even know about. And so right now is the time we need to be more effective at telling our story. It's, it's just absolutely so important. Having worked with all the big global organizations and media ministries and, and people that I've worked with over the years, I've just discovered that you're exactly right. They don't care about your debt. They don't care about your problems. They don't care about your mortgage. What they do care about is vision. Are you in the fight? And, and as you said, we're, work, we're, we're recording this in the, the COVID-19 shutdown during the crisis. And what I'm telling churches and ministry organizations is, um, you know, this is the time to tell people that you're in the fight, you're making a difference, you've got outreaches out there. I'll give you a great example. Um, we got a group of large churches in LA together just a few weeks ago. It's fact, the first week of the shutdown. And we realized that they had cleaning supplies piling up, they had toilet paper piling up, they had stuff, nobody's coming to the service and they had all this kind of stuff. So we called the Salvation Army, and we got all these churches together, ma major churches, to donate all this stuff to the Army to use in their feeding programs, their, their homeless shelters, their rehab centers. And the Army sent a truck out, picked it up, and it was, so, it was such an effective outreach 
that the NBC station and the ABC station here in LA both did stories on it. Just a one day's event. And then I told these pastors, I said, look, have your video guy go out there. You capture this when they're loading your stuff on the truck, you know, with your church in the background, get a shot of what's going on. And then on your live stream that Sunday, talk to the people, tell them about it. And it's interesting, Phil, that in every single case, the pastors that talked about it, guess what? They had an increase in giving that Sunday because people see that you're out there, you're doing something, you're making a difference. That inspires them and that makes them want to be a part of that. And so they're more likely to help fund that vision. One of the things, and this is a little bit in the kind of the, the weeds a bit, but I've been I'm dying to ask you because I, I here's the way I think of you from the stuff that I've read, because I, I don't know you and I'm just meet, meeting you, but, but the stuff I've read is that you're a great observer. Mm. You're a great observer of what's happening, even going back to the, the book that I referenced from 2007. Yeah. Uh, and, and with the, everything that's happening at this stage, because I've been kind of going out on a limb and saying there are going to be a lot of our churches, and primarily in North America, that are going to crater coming out of this thing um, and for a variety of reasons. But one is those that are slow to embrace the technology, not as something nice to have on the side, yeah. but maybe a primary front door. And there, an example I use is out in your neck of the woods, Greg Laurie, where, you know, mm -hmm. he's normally got thousands that would attend before the pandemic. But yeah. on Easter had 1.3 million yeah. watch yeah. and he didn't have to buy TV time. I mean, right. it, it's it's crazy, crazy. Well, so do you do you see big changes that way on how churches do church in North America? No question. Uh, the before right before the, the, the shutdown happened, the virus pandemic happened. Lifeway Research did an interesting study that indicated 41% of churches in America have never offered anything online to their people. No online services, no online resources, no online products, nothing. Brother, believe me, that has completely changed over this, this course. In fact, before the pandemic, I, had, I still had pastors telling me, you know, Phil, you know, when I talk about, when, when I go live stream, or that, that's not real ministry. Online ministry is not real ministry. Let me tell you something, this has completely changed a lot of people's thinking out there because it is. In fact, I got a call yesterday morning uh, from a friend of mine who's a pastor of about 900 people in, uh, in the South, in Alabama. And he told me that, um, he said, I have to tell you, we had 50 people who have signed up for our YouTube page, subscribe to our YouTube page before the virus. Now, as of today, we have 23,000 subscribers to our YouTube page. <laughs> He said, I've had 1.5 million people watch my Easter sermon on Sunday. He said, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm really not anxious to go back to our building. We're bigger than ever. We have more people following us, more people contributing. He said, our income is going up. Um, he said, we're making more of an impact than we've ever made. We have more people on a typical live stream watch us than have ever walked into the doors of our building. So I'm, I'm finding that pastors that are embracing this, and, and, and let me say this, Phil, you just have to be intentional about that online audience. And that's frustrating to me. I mean, we've worked with churches that even before this, this shutdown, we've, we've worked with three or four churches that were making as much as a third of their total income just from their live stream audience. And that's because the pastor engaged them. He welcomed them every Sunday. He makes them feel like they're a campus, not just a bunch of people watching on the outside. In fact, I had a pastor of 6,000 members call me um, last summer who said that Sunday his online, his live stream audience gave more than his 6,000 member congregation. So wow. that's a great example of the fact that those people can be activated. They can be motivated. They can, they're an army out there 
but we have to treat them seriously. We have to engage with them, make them welcome, just as we do our, the people that you see from the pulpit. That's the critical key, I think. Here, okay, so here I have a lot of uh, suppositions that we'll see if they have any legs you know, okay. as we go forward. Uh, one of them is, uh, it, as long and I'm a sports guy, so I watch the sports stuff, you know, what's happening. And, and as long as major college football, NFL, all those are wrestling with they, whether they can have open air events in the fall. Yeah. If that's a, if that's the debate, then why in the world would we think you're going to hold your breath for three or four more weeks? And then it's suddenly, you know, open the doors and it's Easter Sunday and everybody's rolling in type of a thing. I, I, I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of people to say, A, I kind of like the online experience. And B, I'm still reticent about this whole <laughs> social distance stuff. Uh, it, it, all wet or you, it, you see any of that? No, no, no. I think you're right on. I've had a number. I've had, <coughs> excuse me. I've had a number of pastors in the last few days just talking about this very subject and what we've what, what I'm seeing out there is, you know, people are comfortable going to Walmart or Home Depot. You know what? Can I pause just a second? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I got something while, down while, my throat. I don't know what it was. While F Phil uh, chokes to death, I'm talking with Phil Cook. Uh, Phil Cook is, uh, in my opinion, got so many things that, to put behind his name. <laughs> produces lots of quality stuff when it comes to media, TV, film, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and when he writes... I got to be honest, a lot of Christian stuff I'm not that thrilled about when I pick up and read it. Uh, but his is very insightful. Um, and just like the new book that he's coming out on how we blew it, the whole thing, idea with Christian credibility and how do we gain that stuff back. So we're, what I wanted to do while we got Phil is pick his brain and talk about the changes in how we do ministry in North America now during the shutdown and going forward. Because every episode that we've done, dealing with how to react and deal with the pandemic has set records for downloads. It's, it's just a hot subject and it's not going to go away soon, even though it's regional. I've got clients in Long Island that are really struggling. I got clients in Nebraska that wonder what we're talking about. So, you know, it's all over the place. Uh, so, but the, the whole thing of being, when we do open the doors and you're allowed to come back in your regional setting with restrictions or non-restrictions, whatever this happened to be, uh, how's what's that going to look like? What, you got in your crystal ball. What do you see? Well, here's what I'm I'm finding out there is that you're exactly right about sports. It's not going to be a legal issue. It's going to be a behavior issue. Even though the state that you're in and people I know are listening to this all over the country and all over the world, whatever area you're in will have its own rules. But it's really not going to be about whether you're open or not. It's going to be whether people feel comfortable coming back. You know. Uh, People feel comfortable in Walmart. They feel comfortable in Home Depot, but that's largely because they're walking around. And if somebody looks sniffly over here, I can move away from him. But church is a confined space. You just can't get up and move around. So what I'm hearing from a lot of pastors are many, because of the time of year this is happening, many are going to start with outdoor services. Um, I, I've got a number in the Midwest that tell me they're going to do an outdoor Mother's Day service. A lot mm -hmm. of exits, wide open. Uh, they're going to have an area behind the seats that if you want to sit in your car, that's fine. They'll take care of you that way. And so a lot of people are going to gradually do it. But here's the thing. You're exactly right. People are going to be really slow coming back. And that's an important reason to keep the live stream going. I mean, number one, I hope that when this is completely over, however long that may be, we don't stop putting the, the same amount of effort into our into our live stream service because that has proven to be so powerful that I'm just telling people, don't pull back. This is not the moment to pull back. Keep going with that live stream because that's going to help you 
through that transition. The other thing that I think it's important to realize is in many states, it's about numbers and it's not numbers on your campus, it's numbers in the room. So if you can have 100 people in your sanctuary, well, maybe you can have 100 people in your overflow room or 100 people in your fellowship hall or in a Sunday school building. So this is the time to be thinking about overflow rooms, audio, video cables. We can get a lot of people. Uh, one more thing to think about is that in some states, Texas in particular, I hear, they're talking about capacity, not numbers, which means they'll open with maybe 25% capacity to the room. So if, you, if your sanctuary seats 200 people, then you could get 50 people in there or, or whatever, yeah, 50 people in there. Um, and so you could start, capacity could be an even better thing for churches because a lot of churches are running maybe half or two thirds of their normal, normal seating anyway. So you could start getting more people in that way. But I think the bottom line for me is do not, in our enthusiasm about inviting people back, number one, don't push too hard. We've already had a few churches, had a, had a group of churches in San Antonio try to open a couple weeks ago, and it was just, it, it fell flat on its face because people just weren't ready. So don't push too hard. And the next thing is be careful about the way you express it, that you don't shame people who are, un, are uncomfortable with coming. If they don't feel good about coming, great. Leave them at home. That's fine. Just keep communicating through the live stream and let the people that want to come. I think that's really, really, really very important. But the key in all this, exactly what you said, is the live stream is going to be absolutely critical. And understand, it, from what I'm seeing out there, if you're experience, uh, experiencing a decline in giving, and, and I have to say, most of the churches we work with are doing great, really, really great. But I know many are experiencing a decline. But don't confuse the decline in giving with the fact that you're online. The decline right. in giving is because everybody's losing their job. Businesses are shut down. People are getting laid off and furloughed. That's the reason the income is declining. So don't, don't think, don't equate in your mind that online means nobody gives. That's not been the case at all. And I have, I've seen no proof that it's the online factor that's such a big deal. So I think if you, the key is work your online service, work that live stream, be intentional about it. And I've been speaking, I, I, I did a class with Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, I did another one with Liberty University. I've been doing seminars. I'm speaking tomorrow to 70 or 80 uh, pastors in Ohio. And um, I've just been doing this every day. And I've been giving them tips for how to keep that, how to take that live stream to another level. And when you do these things, uh, it's just amazing the results some people are having. Okay, that's exactly right. Let's go there. Um, okay. Because here, here's my, my two cents. I've been th saying that the, the online presence has to be embraced, not as something that we have as a frilly side, but is, is the front door. And, and where many are going to feel part of it. Don't, don't guilt people to saying, well, okay, if you're not physically here at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, you're somehow not really part of this. Uh, and there, here's the way I liken it. Maybe it's a goofy comparison, but I'm a big <laughs> sports fan. One of my, I, since I went to college in Kentucky, I followed University of Kentucky basketball for decades, and I am a big fan, but I've only been in Rupp Arena a handful of times. I've, so when they're on, when I'm living in Seattle or wherever, I find it, I watch them, I feel very much a part of the team. Yes. Just You could do college football, you could do NFL, NBA. It's not the 20,000 in the NBA arena yeah. that makes it a global brand. So I don't want to over callous this, but in Christianity with your church and your ministry, especially in the church world, you have this thing that you're doing when people come to worship. 
if we are going to be stubborn and say you must be in our location at this particular time, A, I think it kicks against the goads in a couple of different ways. One, you're, you're going with the, the designated time. Yeah. Well, what? guess what? When I watch television, it's stuff we DVR'd. It's yeah. very seldom where it's an appointment you know, that I'm going to watch. So I think that goes into the behavior piece. The other is that someone can be in their, their home. We talk about house churches. Okay, we go in their home, and they're worshiping with you through that. So what I want to know, though, and two things. One, from your chair, how do – a couple of easy tips. How do they make it better? And then two, do you see – how we're going to to cause a more of an interaction yeah that's that's the piece that i'm i'm wondering who's going to figure that piece out well that's interesting and and it's funny you say that about sports and watching it through tv um you know i, I get a lot of pastors who say well phil uh, you know we have to get people back in the building for the community for the fellowship well let me tell you if you're 30 years or older or younger that iPhone in your pocket, that's community and fellowship for you. People commune, you know, get together online just as easily, and they have just as much fun as they do when they're together. So it's not really that question anymore. And I'm not against getting back in the room. I'm not against getting back in a church. However, we just have to recognize the reality of what's going on. And some of the tips that I'm telling pastors right now are, number one, make your live stream easy to find. You know, I watch about 10, 20, sometimes 30 live streams on a typical Sunday every, every week just to see what's going on out there. And it's amazing how hard it is to find the live stream of the church. Um, some One church, I had to go through five different pages to get to the, the, the place where I could click on it. And um, so in others, it's just really tiny up, up at the top somewhere. Let me tell you, this is a lot of time to make a giant splash screen on your homepage, make it a giant photo, a big button, make it easy to find. This is not the time to make it difficult for people to connect with you. The other thing we're finding is that people tend to tune in five, 10, 20, even 30 minutes before your live stream actually starts. So instead of giving them a countdown clock or a picture of a mountain or a shot of the, your church, Let's start the live stream early and have a right. couple, have a host, have a guy, a girl, whoever. And let's talk about stuff. Do announcements. Pray for people. Uh, there you do the little community talk. You could get people ready for the service. There's a million things you could do in that time leading up to the service. So don't waste that time. You'd be amazed at how many people will be in your audience thirty up to 30 minutes before your live stream even begins. So let's minister to them. Um, something else I'm telling people is, you know, you have to adapt. You know, before this shutdown, live streaming meant, okay, let's set up a camera and show people out there a glimpse of what our service is like. Well, let me tell you, Phil, today, 100% of your congregation is on the other side of that camera. And so what worked, what worked on the stage with a live audience is not necessarily going to work with a camera. And so that may mean you don't even do it on the stage anymore. Maybe you go to another room in the church. Uh, Andy Stanley and other people like him have gone into a private home and Andy sits at a bistro table on a stool and just shares uh, from there and even has the worship band in his living room or whoever's living room it is. So you don't have to do it that way, but just be sensitive to the fact that you adapt. Here in Hollywood, where I live, when a producer buys a book to make into a movie, you know, he's, he doesn't film the book. It would be a 90-hour movie. He has to cut scenes, rearrange things, make composite characters. We have to think that way when we do a live stream. In fact, the, the, it's funny, the Oscar for the screenplay for that type of movie is called the Best Adapted Screenplay. 
And this is the time for pastors and church leaders to start thinking how I can adapt what worked on stage to what will work on this camera I'm looking at here. And so that means get the cameras in t closer, uh, shoot tighter. You know, it's interesting that on a camera, all the power of your message happens right, you know, between your chest and the top of your head. Your face is where it's at. That's where your emotion is. Your eyes are what's most compelling. Every storyteller knows you want to be close up. And so I continue to see live streams with wide shots, you know, side shots of the stage. I saw a shot the other day that was a wide shot with coffee cups sitting on the edge of the stage off to the side. I'm seeing a drum set or a piano, uh, potted plants. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in your message. So get in tight and share that message up close. That's so incredibly important because everybody is right there. And so I, I think, and, and you know, along that line, by the way, Phil, is I tell pastors, this is not the time to fake it. I, I, I get a big kick out of every Sunday. I see a number of pastors that they're on their live stream, that they're on this camera live streaming, but they walk over to the side and they preach as if they're preaching to the people over on the right side. And then they walk <laughs> over to the left side as if they're preaching to the people on the left side. You know what? We know nobody's in the building. Why fake it? What are you doing? Everybody's on that camera. That's where you need to be. Zero in on that camera. That's what's so incredibly important. I might say a little bit frustrating, but that's that's kind of the way it is. Another couple quick things would just be use graphics, on-screen graphics. There's research out there that indicates when you use graphics on camera, on screen, people remember three times as much. So your scriptures, your sermon points, your key concepts, things like that. It, there's a reason the news is just, the, the you know, a TV screen during the evening news is filled with graphics. They understand. And also, by the way, people are tuning in and out of your live stream. So put your name up there every once in a while. Put the church location. Put your website. And uh, the, the last thing I would say, and I think this is really critical, is we're finding that generally people are tuning in and out the most during the music and the worship and they tend to get locked in during this, the sermon. Now, I've produced Christian television for 30 years, 40 years, and one thing we discovered is people watch Christian television programs largely for the message. So whether it's Billy Graham or Joel Osteen or Jack Graham in, at Prestonwood in Dallas or Joyce Meyer, whoever it is, even though they have fantastic worship bands, we right. don't put that on television because that's not what people tune in for. And we're kind of finding that is the way it is with a live stream. But we want the live stream experience to feel like it's a worship experience. So have the music, have the worship. But I would consider maybe shortening that set and getting to your message sooner because that's when we're finding people are really getting zoned in and paying attention when your message starts. So that, it's kind of like... You know, I just say experiment. Every church is different. Every congregation is different. One large Pentecostal church we work with in Ohio, th their people love their worship set. So they've actually expanded it. So it's a matter of really knowing your congregation. What's their personality like? What are they expecting? And if you can do that well, I think you'll succeed. Well, first of all, I hope everybody that's listening, you're getting your, your MBA and stuff here. Uh, this is good stuff. Seriously, because we literally work with hundreds of folks out there. And uh, with a handful, I can tell you some handfuls that were really ahead of the curve and we're doing some good stuff already. Like when you when you talked about the venues, we have a church in Ohio that's normally about 5,000 in size, but they had already designed their facilities to have four venues. So uh -huh. you can go to four different rooms right. and they're different sizes. One's like 1,500 seats. The smallest one's like 400 seats. And 
you, they could have all those simulcasts, all those going on, and you, of course, could limit that. Because if, if McDonald's in the Netherlands has already built a new facility that documents where I'm supposed to stand to be six feet from the next person that's ordering, where I'm going to sit and eat with a plexiglass around my little table. I mean, if McDonald's is spending money in the Netherlands to try to figure out how, what to work and not work, yeah. then, then it's silly for us to not see that. But then the other side of that too, and, and I, I know I'm gonna get slammed, people are gonna say I'm, I'm over uh, commercializing this, but I'm of the generation that, that came up with David Letterman doing The Late Show. Yeah. And David's audience were the millions watching, not 200 people in Ed Sullivan Theater. So the Ed Sullivan was definitely important. You stood in line. I stood in line one night for hours and never got in. I mean, <laughs> it yeah. was it, to get, get in this, the theater. And it ambiance and it's the folks that are there, and I'm sure they had a great experience. But when David came out to do his monologue and so forth, he's got a screen that is representing this monster share of folks that are going to be there. And exactly. I know church is different. I realize that. But at the same time, if we're going to use this medium and we're going to try to communicate and bring those folks in, then I, I just I love what you're saying. I love the whole tight shot stuff, you know, that what they're doing. We have now one thing we've noticed. I'm, I'm interesting if you're say, seeing the same thing. We're telling our clients that as soon as you're done speaking, they start clicking out. Yes, that's they, true. They that so if you've got something you need to to put in there, don't make your announcement at the end because yeah. they're not there. Well, and along that line, don't take up. Don't wait till the end to take up your offering. Um, uh, if you do, when you do challenge people to give, give them the opportunity up front, uh, give them the opportunity at the end, because we know people won't be, you know, they're not going to be at both places. People tune in and out during the whole time. Um, but you're, you're exactly right. Something, you know, the gospel I've been preaching for the last decades are the, the people you see from the pulpit are a, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the people you're actually reaching out there. It could be on YouTube, Facebook, your live stream, however it is. So we need to, pastors just need to understand that. And this is why a communication director, a media director at your church can be so incredibly important. And, and along that same line, one of the most frustrating things I see is when I'm watching on a live stream on a Sunday, when it ends, this graphic pops up and says the live stream is now over. Well, how depressing is that? Um, <laughs> so make it could make it play back, make it in demand, make it available whenever people want to watch it. I talked to Craig Rochelle at Life Church recently, and he said their 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 service plays hundreds of times the following week, and they get more viewers during those replays than they ever get during the actual live stream. So you know, make sure that your services are being replayed all week long, or people can download them and, and view them on demand because you'll end up with far more people. And one thing we know, research indicates that as you grow your live stream audience, a significant number are gonna be international. So you're becoming an international ministry as soon as you go online. So think about time zones and places, you know, that's inconvenient. My wife and I travel all over and um, wherever we are in the world, we pop up on our laptop on Sunday and watch our home church's live stream. So people are watching. We just need to be intentional about taking them seriously. Well, I, I read a stat a long time ago that because it was talking about uh, um, your services not just being on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And there's like 32% of the working population couldn't come Sunday morning if they wanted to uh, based upon their, their schedules. So going back to that, too, it's not just the appointed time. I'm going to I'm going to open my laptop and watch your the live stream. But what if I can't at 10 o'clock? Yeah. So I, I love that. One one last thing. I'm just dealing with kind of in the weeds. 
multiple platforms, putting your stuff up on as many platforms as yeah. possible. What do you say? Absolutely. Um, what I what I generally say recommend to people is they should have a home base on their website, and I, I recommend a platform like the Church Online platform that you can get from Life Church in Oklahoma City. It's free, but it allows you to put your sermon notes up. It connects with the Version Bible. It has a chat room. It, it has all kind of response mechanism. If the pastor says, raise your hand, if you're married, you can push a button in your hand. You know, it's like they'll know. So, and it's really stable. Uh, something like that is important, but that's your home page. But I also say, put it on Facebook. Put it on YouTube. Here's the thing. In the digital world, it's not how we want to reach them. It's how they want to reach us. So mm. we have to be available. However people want to reach us, we have to be out there. And so that's why I encourage pastors. It's time to take social media seriously. It's time to take online video seriously. It's time to really connect with people. And so we're working with churches and ministries like you are all over the country. Only our job is to help them use media more effectively to speak the language of today's culture. And the results have just been remarkable. For instance, we're finding that that short videos, four to six minute videos, have become the number one marketing tool in America. We, we did all the media for the Museum of the Bible that opened up in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. a few years ago. And uh, leading up to the launch, we did hundreds and hundreds of short videos on fundraising, donor development, membership, awareness, marketing, whatever. And I travel all over the world and, with my filming work, and we met people all over the world that said, hey, I saw those videos you did from Museum of the Bible. And so they're just becoming an incredibly important tool. And you could do it with your phone. You don't have to have an expensive video crew or expensive cameras. Just pull out your phone and communicate with people. In fact, and I don't want to rant, but I'll just tell you that I tell pastors right now, your weekly live stream is only the beginning. I encourage you, get your phone out two or three times a week. Go on Facebook Live. Go Insta Instagram Live. Talk to your people. Share what's going on with the church. What's going to come up this Sunday? What you're preparing for your message? Outreaches that you're having that's impacting your community during this virus. Keep that connection with going, going with people online. And I'll tell you, that will, that, that will just so energize your congregation, motivate them, and they'll get on your team even more. One of the things you said just in passing kind of perked me up. I'd never really thought of it this way was the importance of a, a media director, somebody on your staff. Yeah. Uh, when in our work with churches and, and ministries, I always talk about your staffs divided into two categories, your sales and service mm. and sales. I can't have too many of them. It doesn't matter how many are, because if that helps me to reach people, helps me to, yeah. to reach and grow service, very important, but I can be get a little too lopsided because it doesn't necessarily help me grow. It helps me be more efficient and so forth. And that's good. Yeah, good. The, the media director, it's kind of like going back 25 years where everybody thought well, as soon as they hit 200, they need the youth minister, you know, or youth pastor. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's like, okay, now uh, who is my person? Who are my people that get this and understand this piece? Uh, and I, what you're talking about, the four minute video stuff. I, I, I just think that's, it's brilliant. And I do believe it is not just a matter of how do we stick up something that our faithful can go and find so they feel part of our church so they'll continue to send tithe in while we're yeah. shut down. Instead so right. of, no, what if we're five times our reach? You're so right. I, I had a pastor the other day tell me, you know, Phil, I love missions. I love educational outreaches. I love our youth. But let me tell you, it's my communications and media team that is keeping our church alive right now. He said, I'm putting, I'm investing more effort, time, money into that team than you can possibly imagine, because without them, we would pretty much be out of business. 
And so I, I wish all pastors grasped that concept that, that your communication team, and after all, even in good times, even when we're back in the building, it's your communication team that's helping amplify your voice and your message to potentially far, 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 far more people than you could ever do from the pulpit. So I encourage pastors, we live in the digital age, and that means you have to develop your communication team because that's how you actually connect with the greater culture out there. This is a goofy question out of left, left field, but you are of the age which you probably can re- uh, see this. Um, I, ca- I came up during the time of ministry where um, Bob Schuler's Hour of Power was one of the few things on nationally. Uh, and unless you had obscure ch- cable channels or you had local regional stuff, there just wa- weren't a lot out there. And it's cost prohibitive. You know, it's very, very expensive even on a, buying Sunday time. Uh, and Joel, of course, is, is huge and out there. But it almost looks like this has revolutionized how you can take your ministry into international forum for what feels like pennies. Well, let me tell you something that's really interesting. Um, you know, I grew up, you're right, I, with Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, Fulton Sheen, Rex Humbard, you know, th- that whole crowd. And it was ministry, it was parachurch organizations back in those days because churches really didn't have that kind of vision. But equipment prices have dropped dramatically. Uh, it takes fewer people to make it happen. And so churches have really risen up. And, and this a newer generation of young pastors really has a, a grasp of, of reaching out in a big way, which includes television. We've got three clients. One, a church in New Orleans, a church in Oklahoma City, a church in Hawaii, and about ready to do a church in Ohio that they're taking their live stream, editing it into a a one-hour television program, airing it locally on TV. The pastors came to me and said, I wrote a blog post encouraging people to consider this early on in the, the shutdown. And these pastors read it, got excited and said, hey, this is a way to open up my service to so many, many more people. And so it's just interesting that now these local pastors, and there have been a number of pastors over the years that have been on television, but I find it particularly interesting that during the shutdown, they're taking an edited version of their live stream program. Some are doing a 30 minute version, some are doing an hour version, and they're putting it on local television. And guess what? They're getting, first of all, they're using it to drive people to their live stream now. And then later they'll use it to drive people to church. And I can tell you, because we, we, I led the team that created Joel Osteen's television program. You know, Joel, at the time he took over for his father, the church was about 7,000 people. It was in North Houston, a two-lane road, in and out, kind of a, you know, a rundown area of town. It was out in a remote place, hard to get to. And we were convinced that people just had never been there. They thought, you know, it's a Pentecostal church. Who knows what's going on in that place? I'm never going to visit that. They may be handling snakes. Who knows? And um, so we got our heads together, and we thought, let's do an hour version of, the sh- of, of your service and put it on locally. So if you're in driving distance of Houston, you get to see an hour version of the show. You see what the worship is like, the the music, the sermon, even announcements. We put it all in there. And guess what? We can actually track the spike in attendance at Lakewood to when we started airing that local version of the program. Because outsiders suddenly started saying, hey, that's a pretty incredible church. I could go visit that. I could be a member there. And they at least started looking. And I've seen that duplicated at so many other places. Prestonwood Baptist in Dallas does a brilliant job of this. Shepherd Church here in Los Angeles with Dudley Rutherford does a great job with this. They're using local television to drive people to the church. And I'll tell you, it's just an amazing opportunity to show what God is doing in your church 
with people all over your city. So uh, we're just seeing some really interesting things happening in media out there, and I could not be more thrilled. Phil Cook's my guest. We're getting ready to wrap it up. He's been gracious giving me time. Before we do, though, Phil, give me a, a, a synopsis of your new book that you have out, uh, The Way Back. The Way Back, How Christians Blew Their Credibility and How We Get It Back. You know, it's interesting. John, my co-writer, Bob and I, we, we've, sat, we've spent hours and hours around a fire pit talking about why Christianity continues, continues to be marginalized. I mean, they used to ignore us altogether. Now they openly ridicule us on primetime TV and in the news. And um, we started thinking originally that it's a, it's a marketing problem. We're just not telling our story very well. And granted, we're not. I can tell you that as a, as a professional television producer. But we started looking deeper into it. And just in a nutshell, real quickly, we engaged four of the major research organizations, Gallup, Pew, Lifeway, and Barna. And we said, let's look at how we as Christians are living our life. Because if, if you and I went out on the street right now, here in LA and said, what do you think of when you think of Christians? You know, we wouldn't get the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering. We'd get hypocritical, power hungry, hip, you know, pushy, um, really ugly, ugly terms. And we thought, why is that happening? And, and so we started looking at how we live our lives. To our shock, we found that when it comes to church going Christians, not people that just call themselves Christians, but actually people in the pews, we found out 40% of church-going Christians read the Bible once a month, rarely or never. When it comes to prayer, we discovered that 63% of Christians think prayer is important. In the church-going Christians think prayer is important. I thought, okay, that's a win. That's that's majority. But they, then we realized the flip side means 37% of people in church on Sundays, more than a third, don't believe prayer is important. And when it comes to church attendance, the bar is so low now that if you just show up uh, like four out of eight Sundays, you're considered a regular now. In fact, I think that's 50%. It's more like 35%, somewhere that I forget Correct. the exact number. But trust me, you don't have to show up much to be considered a regular anymore. And of course, with giving, you know, to God's, uh, the, to the work of God, less than, ten, as you know, less than 10% of church showing Christians actually give 10%. So when you look at all those together, you discover, guess what? We're exactly what people say we are. We are critical. You know, we are, we are pushy. We're, we're, we become the fat guy in the gym that lectures everybody else about health. And we're not living the life God's called us to live. And so when it looks like, when it seems like we're not making an impact in the culture, it's not because of the culture. It's not because of Hollywood or the gay community or something else. It's because we're not living the life God called us to. So we wrote the book as an attempt to say, hey, let's see how, what it would take to get back on track. And, for, you know, John's a marketing professional. I'm a media professional. We thought from our perspective, seeing the culture the way we do every day, what would it actually take to get the, get the Christian community back on the radar out there and make an impact in the culture? And that's really the kernel of what the book is about. Get his book, Phil Cook, with an E, uh, any of his stuff. Go to philcook.com. Um, he is he's a guy I, I like to read. He is the guy you need to consume. Let me do a shameless plug real quick. Uh, you, if you've been listening for any length of time, and we've been blessed, like I said, thousands of you are doing it. The Giving Leader podcast is made uh, available because of the Giving Church. The Giving Church is a group that I, I founded. Uh, it calls upon all our experience over the years of working with churches in leadership development and intentional generosity. You have to have, you have, to have generosity to fuel your vision. You can sit and dream up, this is what we want to do. This is where we feel God's leading us. And somebody's going to say, how do we pay for that stuff? And that intentional generosity is getting harder and harder as our 
Christians become more consumers than they are stewards. I have been blessed to live long enough to work with churches and ministries that had to survive 9-11. I was in an airplane on 9-11. I had to turn around and fly back to Portland and then drive across the country. I've lived through the the dot-com bubble and the collapse of the banks, and now we're in the pandemic. This is different because we can't gather, because you can't bring your folks together. And if you do not have an intentional plan, my fear is a lot of you will not make it. And we'd love to help you in any way that we can. Go to thegivingchurch.com. We've got a free book you can download. Uh, You can chime in through info at thegivingchurch.com. Any kind of questions, anything that we can do to reach out and help you. Phil Cook has been my guest. He has lots and lots of stuff out there you can consume. Phil, you're a good man, man. I really appreciate you giving me this much time. You are very kind. I had a great time. This was really fun. Great questions. And with that, we will sign off. Tell your friends, download, and we appreciate your listening.